Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. So welcome, everybody. Today, I'll be speaking with Jeremiah Cohen. Uh, Jeremiah is the current Chief Information Security Officer over at Simpatico. Uh, I know he's, he's been passionate about his pursuit to mitigate ongoing cyber warfare threats. He's been working a lot with his partners and trying to get them secured and protected. Uh, I know that looking at your background, I see that you come from an IT technical background all the way, you started all the way from, you know, a help desk technician in your early career uh, and, you know, being elevated and basically you started off as a help desk technician, moving your way up, uh, assuming all kinds of IT related roles um, to include virtual information security, uh, virtual chief information officer, actually VCIO. And, and uh, now CISO, I do think that you also offer some virtual CISO services as well. Um, I see you have all kinds of certific certificates from uh, CISSP, CEA, MCSC, MCSA, and, and whatnot. Uh, I'd, I'd be more than happy if you could step in, introduce yourself, maybe give a few words about Simpatico as well, uh, and we can get started. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Uh, pleasure, pleasure to be here with you. Appreciate it. Yeah, Jeremiah Cohen, um, Chief Information Security Officer with Simpatico Systems. We are a managed service provider and also a managed security service provider. Uh, we are we are uh, headquartered in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, we have locations throughout the U.S. Uh, got one in Dallas and Los Angeles. Uh, you know, working on being you know kind of across the country. Um, we service a, a variety of verticals we are we are very agnostic we we service a lot of different uh, verticals so we have our eyes and, and hands in a lot of different things uh and uh you know part of my role is playing that vc so role with uh, our customers so uh it's a little bit of a challenge in that you know i'm dealing with the stuff day to day but then also for our customers so uh but i enjoy the challenge so um again thanks for having me here yeah, uh, it is definitely my pleasure, absolutely. And yeah, I, I can imagine because I, I'm I'm aware of some of these challenges as well. You know, being a virtual CISO or a fractional CISO, working with multiple customers, it might be challenging. You know, you're you're a part of the team, but you're not really a part of the team. And then yeah, maybe we can talk a bit about that as well. Um, but before we get started, I always like to ask a couple of icebreaker questions here. Um, can you share what's your favorite drink is? Oh yeah, that's easy. I am, uh, I love bourbon. I love whiskey, uh, makers, makers mark is at the top of my list right now, but, uh, I usually Which try one? to find. 
which one they have a few additions i think right they have uh just the, just the regular just the regular uh i haven't tried the the latest one that's out but i try to find like the obscure ones when i go into you know the the alcohol emporium <laughs> but i try to find something obscure and test something a little bit different each time just seeing what people the flavors they add in but definitely a whiskey is my my go-to yeah same same for me i started experimenting with bourbon when i moved uh, to the u.s like two years ago and i have like maybe three or four right now that i'm that i'm checking but uh yeah i'm a i'm a whiskey kind of guy as well um can you share a bit about your marital status Oh yeah. Um, you know, everybody always says happily, uh, that, that's, uh, I feel like that's a precursor to making everybody believe that, but, uh, no, definitely, uh, married, um, going on 18, 18 plus years at this point. Um, definitely married my best friend. Um, so I'm, I'm happy. Good. And good, good. And thank you for sharing that. Um, so basically I'm, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions here. Again, the purpose of this podcast is basically to educate our listeners and, you know, tap into the minds of leading CISOs and virtual CISOs in the industry, uh, identify trends and whatnot. So yeah, I think we can get started. Um, if there's one thing you wish you'd known about your career before you began it, what would that be? It's a good question, Ben. Uh, honestly, the impact it had on my family, you know, uh, in the IT industry in general, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that can relate to it. Uh, you know, at some points I felt like I was an on-call doctor. Uh, my, my personal life was gone. You know, we, you know, my wife had been, I had been married for a few years before we had kids, but that came along and literally the job was so demanding of just being on call and supporting these systems and from an IT engineering perspective and after hours support. I mean, it was literally, you know, by the time I got home, I was had calls lined up and would work until 10, 11 o'clock at night up again in the morning. And this went on for years. And it really just had a, a hefty impact on my relationship with my wife, with my children. I mean, there'd be days on end where I wouldn't get home until late and I wouldn't even see my children. I'd see them at night, you know, kiss them and they wouldn't even know I was there and I was gone again in the morning. And so, you know, that, that really was pretty heavy on me. Um, now, you know, hindsight, was it all worth it? Uh, you know, I, I definitely enjoyed it, but I think I would have made different decisions along the way about balancing, you know, life and, and work along the way. Yeah. And, you know, let me just ask you a follow-up question to that. Uh, like, what was your method in being able to take basically a step back and, you know, improve that li that work-life balance then? Like, what yeah, made the change? Well, um, I think just me maturing uh, as a, you know, I was young. I was a, you know, younger, getting married, having kids, and in just that work work role. And I was fearful as you know many people can understand and it was kind of like i felt like if i didn't do it i would be losing out on that opportunity or i wouldn't be able to take care of my family uh so it was very difficult i, I found it hard to to separate those two um and so there like i said it was many years of that and then it really was seeing the impact it was having on my relationship and and really having to scale that back a little bit and, and, and stand my ground to my employer, whoever I was working with at the time, 
and just, you know, I need that time back. I mean, it, I need, you know, almost sometimes not even answering the phone, right? I mean, you try to create practices and habits for yourself, but again, the fear was a, a pretty big driver there. And if I don't respond, maybe I lose this opportunity. So it, it, it was difficult. Um, it was a difficult choice to pick one or the other. And most of the time, I, I think I chose wrong, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you have to figure out how to balance that and, and what, what's important to you. So if, if, if there's a young professional out there now listening, what would be your tip to them? Like if they, if they're, if they find themselves in a similar position to, to what you just described, what would be your tip to them? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, really it's establishing, uh, again, an immaturity piece on my part is just really establishing that relationship with your employer, the company you're with upfront. Really, and you know, if, if you're working for a, a quality company, they should value your own life. You know that you know, we call it balancing the needle. Um, really setting the, the expectation of, hey, that this is what's important to me. You know, I would rather have this this freedom and my personal time uh, over X. You know, maybe it's an increase in pay. Uh, I would have, if I could go back, I would have easily taken the time and the peace of mind over any sort of increase in pay. Uh, that's such short-lived, right? So just really set those boundaries and those, those guidelines up front and make sure everybody's on the same page. Uh, that way you at least have some sort of uh, line of delineation of when we're going over and, you know, when, when we're pushing that boundary a little bit and everybody can be respectful of that. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with you. I think uh, it's very important to put th these boundaries and, and, and talk. Just talk to your boss. I mean, it's not... Uh... Not something that you need to be afraid of. Um, okay, thank you. Um, moving on, what would you say your biggest failure was, and what did you learn from it? Well, this is always this is one of those like interview questions that's just very difficult to answer. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely a fallible, <laughs> as fallible as anybody else, and I really thought about what was it that was a mistake. Um, or not even a mistake, but a failure. And really it kind of about what I was just talking about. I was very naive uh, in up and coming, you know, in this industry. Uh, I, I definitely allowed myself to be taken advantage of a lot. You know, I was very much, my work ethic is do, get the job done, ask questions later, you know, uh, do whatever it takes to get it done. Um, you know, I was prior military, I was in the Air Force for, for some period of time. You know, that had a little bit of impact on me as well, but really it's just, let's get that done. Um, and I was taken advantage of. So, you know, from that, you know, I learned to be careful about the level of trust that I instilled in the people I worked for, my employers, right? I was, again, I was naive, but uh, I learned not to, not to instill so much trust in those people without having that communication we talked about, you know, and really learning how to defend my value, um, you know, came from that about being so naive and being taken advantage of. Uh, and it, and ultimately it made me aware now, you know, 20 years into my career that I have people that look to me as their mentor, even though I'm kind of ignorant to that. I don't realize that that's even <laughs> happening, that I'm, I'm mentoring people, but that they're doing the same thing to me and really how powerful or detrimental that relationship could be. And so it, it really helped me kind of, you know, look at that through a different lens and, and now from someone looking up from the other direction. 
Okay, uh, and thank you for that. And you know, having touched about your biggest uh, failure, uh, what would you say your biggest success was, if there is such a thing even? Wow. Success. Yeah, I, I, I guess there's different levels of measuring success. Um, yeah, you know, it's a bit unscripted, but uh, I was just curious. I mean, if, if you can... Oh, no, I'm fine with that. I'm thinking, you know, career, you know, because that's what we're talking about. But I wouldn't say that that's necessarily... It's actually kind of in my personal life. Um, my family and I had decided that we were really done with being in the rat race and being slaves to the system. And a few years ago, we actually gave away all of our possessions. I mean, we were doing fine. We gave away all of our possessions, found good homes for animals. We gave our children who were eight and 10 at the time, uh, we gave them pretty large sized duffel bags and said, whatever you can fit in here is what you can take. And we moved to the big island of Hawaii. We just grabbed our stuff, flew over there, found a place to rent. We uh, essentially lived in a small little hut that was about 200, 300 square feet with <laughs> there was there wasn't really any power or hot water and we figured it out we got the kids into school we found a place to live that was off grid and basically established a life where we were completely off the grid we had power we had water the only thing we were connected with was internet and we were living simply i i didn't have to work as much uh i very minimal to take care of our expenses we were at the beach snorkeling uh, doing all of these, you know, things, uh, hiking around the island, exploring the majority of our time. Um, and really, it was the model for, you know, what we could do, uh, really, uh, in humanity if we tried to, but as our family, that we could dismantle our life and then rebuild it uh, and live simply. You know, it's very scary to let go of uh, that security blanket. Uh, and so that really taught us a lot. And our adventure's not over. You know, we're, we're essentially back in the system and connected to the grid, um, you know, until the kids are old enough to get on their own and make their own decisions because we don't want to make that for them. But, uh, you know, it, it may be in our future. So, wow, that's super interesting. So, what made you come back, basically? I'm assuming the um, kids. You wanted well, we, we had some, and, and this isn't anything really about the locals in Hawaii. It was more of the, the, uh, the you know americans that were there a lot of military brats there's a lot of drug issues uh and in the particular area we were in essentially we couldn't the kids couldn't walk to the bus because we were fearful of the people that were you know i mean literally you would see a hole in the jungle and somebody would be living in there under a tarp uh and then we had there was issues with the fog from the the volcano the, the volcanic fog uh, was causing respiratory issues and we were having rashes and breathing problems my wife ended up in the hospital. Um, it was it was pretty bad, and so we were just like, "Look, got it. Now's not the time. Now's not the place. We have small children, and so we basically came back, and then we moved to Texas, <laughs> and uh, we've been here ever since, and and reestablished our life, and now we're on a two acre ranch, and you know we still have that mentality in our mind, but that was what what pushed us back here was just our safety. Wow. Super interesting story. And thank you for sharing that. Uh, I know it's yeah. very personal. Yeah. 
Um, if there is one thing you could do, I mean, when you look uh, back at your career, is there something you would do differently in your opinion? Uh, oh yeah, for sure. So, you know, again, we're talking about immaturity and just naivety of, of coming up in the industry. Like I didn't really, I was so focused on learning the skills for what my job was to be that I didn't really understand the business. I didn't understand business in general. Like, you know, I understand the basics, right? There's a, there's a boss and people do things and there's levels of things and, you know, you, you kind of fit in your role and do your thing, but I had so many opportunities that of, of potential, um, you know, mentors in that area that I could have learned a lot from. And there, and there were a few that I did, but that not understanding the business kind of narrowed my perspective uh, down very small. Uh, and I was very much just kind of reactive to what I was doing and what my role was. And, and I really think that had I done that, it would have helped me excel in my career faster. Because once I got to start doing that, uh, it really accelerated my career. Uh, and, and just brought me a lot of peace and harmony in my, in my, what I was doing and what I've worked so hard to do. Uh, so definitely understanding the business. Yeah. And this has become a, um, a recurring theme. And I, I've heard that a lot, you know, not understanding the business when you begin your career, uh, that's, that's a common theme. So uh, definitely if there's one tip that I've learned so far is the business always comes first not information security, not cybersecurity, not the latest firewall. The business okay. comes first. Whatever it is that we're doing, we do it to support the business. Uh, yeah, and, and this is very important. It's an important lesson I think uh, I think everybody should, should be aware of. Um, and, and you know, a lot of the security professionals out there, they're like self-learners. And I'm just curious, did you have like specific resources that have helped you along the way? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, starting in the beginning, um, really, it was someone giving me a chance. You know, I was I was still working on my bachelor's degree. You know, I didn't have enough uh, history or experience to, to even land a job. Uh, and and actually, somebody who I was going to school with was was already kind of doing that, and they gave me a chance. And I learned more in that in that role in six months than I did in four years of working on getting my data communications degree um so that was that was key to get me started and then the ojt you know on the job training for sure that that's key you know if, if the place you're working for has a good training program you know that was that was helpful having a company that supports that kind of uh that effort uh certifications as well you know i know there's there's a lot of talk about you know uh you know essentially certifications being you know maybe not frowned upon, but, you know, from some of the seasoned professionals not looked at as, you know, having that experience, which I understand, but there's a level of knowledge of everything. It's like getting your degree in whatever, but until you're, you know, <laughs> a rocket scientist, you're really not, and you're just on paper. So certifications were key, really a lot of trial and error, you know, uh, and I, that's how this job works. It's you try, you tweak it, it doesn't work. And, uh, you know, what, what we joke around what we call Google foo. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a lot of Google foo. You know, there was early in my career, you know, I was just telling my daughter who's, who's 12, you know, how, how do you know all this stuff? I said, look, I Googled a lot of stuff for a long time until, <laughs> I, until I started learning some, you know, some basic skills. So yeah, those were pretty key in, in getting to where I am, but uh, I am a sucker for education. I love to learn things. Uh, I love to learn a new skill. 
Um, so those are those were all key for me. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with you. Um, can you name a few individuals that have been the most influential to you? Well, uh, and not to sound corny or that I'm trying to get, you know, uh, husband points, but really my wife has been pretty instrumental. She has supported me all along the way. She has, uh, um, actually, she just walked in right now. Um, she supported me through this career. I mean, we, you know, there were periods of time where I wasn't, you know, providing for the family because I was trying to get jobs and going to school and she was supporting me um, and help. I mean, <laughs> literally sitting in the parking lot sometimes of just, it, it, you can understand as a young couple. So my wife was very instrumental in helping me, you know, that giving me that boost to move forward. Um, another individual that I had mentioned when I said, you know, somebody just giving me uh, an opportunity there was a, a good friend of mine. Um, his name is David Cameron. Uh, he, he actually works for, I think, the city and back in California and oh. L.A. I actually thought you meant the the British PM, the the, the previous British PM. <laughs> oh yeah, was that his name? <laughs> I, I didn't know. Um, I'm pretty sure David Cameron was the prime minister in England. I oh. might be mistaken, but I think I think I'm not. <laughs> I can Google it. Yeah, you asked me my favorite drink, and and my wife just brought me a just brought me a nice. You know, see, my my wife is the one. But uh, yeah. yeah, he was. He was, uh, he was already kind of doing a little side hustle while we were in school and needed someone. He just gave me an opportunity. He's like, here, here's a laptop. Here's this. Like, I need you to go here. Um, and it was a lot of sacrifice. I mean, I was, I was literally driving, you know, an hour and a half each way, three times a week, not getting paid anything to prove myself to go work in a, a healthcare facility, uh, managing Unix servers and uh, some Windows servers, some Linux. I mean, it was crazy, but he really gave me an opportunity and, and you know, we were still in communication today, um, but he gave me a lot of breaks. Um, so he was very, very influential in helping me get where I am. Uh, and another one is uh, actually a person I work with now. Uh, his name's Corey Ruthart. He, he's also a simpatico. He's our uh, CIO, our VP of Ops. Um, really, he's been my mentor. I mean, he he helped kind of mold me and guide me in the right direction. You know, he has a lot of extensive background in, in data center and technology. I mean, just, just brilliant guy, all around good guy. And uh, he really took me under his wing and has guided me and helped me get where I need to go. Um, and so he's been really influential in helping me get where I am. Yeah, having a mentor, especially on the job, is super important in my mind. Uh, yeah, and I know it's not always feasible, but... Uh, it does help a lot. Um, is there a, like any one common myth about the profession or the or the cybersecurity field that you wanted to debunk? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily about cybersecurity, but you know, one of the kind of funny things that has always been a, a deal is when people and and you probably experience this in your life if they find out you do anything technical, like yeah, you know, I'm in cybersecurity or technology or computers they basically assume that anything technology related, you're an expert in it. You know, it's like, oh, you do that? Hey, you know, my, uh, my Casio calculator watch is, you know, could you reprogram that? Or, hey, this thing in my car, my blue, I mean, it's just like, it's never ending. Um, you know, we're not all experts in everything technology. We understand technology, but we don't understand everything. You know? 
there's just not enough time in the day uh, or mental capacity to understand everything but so don't call us for support on your mac when on your macbook when it doesn't work okay yeah that, that, exactly. that's a hint to my wife but yeah yeah I'll go to uh, the geek squad <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> Uh, I'd rather pay the Geek Squad than, you know, trying to de decipher what's going on in the Mac OS. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, um, so can you tell me a bit about uh, about Simpatico, about the company? So I'm curious to understand what markets you operate in and what exactly does the company do? Sure. So, so um, you know, we're essentially in the SMB market, that small to mid-sized business. And we're looking at uh, customers, you know, our sweet spot is 25 to 200 users for endpoints. Um, but we also have some that are one, right? We've got people who have one or two employees. Um, and so essentially we're a technology company. So, and, and uh, by default, we're an MSP in that Sympatico is an amalgam of many different acquisitions and mergers that have happened over a period of time. There was a, a company called BAE Systems um, that's been around for a long time, which was a physical security, low voltage, all of that, you know, uh, hands-on, low voltage kind of stuff. And, and then there was this company, Ironfish, which the, the owner of our company, the founder of a company, had established because he just essentially out of the, the sheer... I think I can do better than what I'm hearing all of my friends or people telling me that they're getting from IT support. So we started Ironfish and then Ironfish and BAE became Sympatico Systems. Uh, and so that started that whole managed service provider of providing IT services, you know, from a managed perspective of, you know, basically all things IT infrastructure, endpoints, uh, you know, data storage, all of the things that are, that are essential and the evolution of what MSPs have been, right? And that, client server situation now cloud um, but we're providing those basic services for customers uh, from you know patch management antivirus all of the essentials that a business needs to function in this day and age uh, and obviously varying levels depending on what the customer wants mm -hmm. uh, and and since then we've established our security uh, the security division of our company which I lead up which is the MSSP side uh, and so now we've, we've kind of opened the market and we've transitioned to being a cyber company because essentially IT is, is going to become commoditized. It already is. It's with the use of the cloud, you know, we've gone through so many evolutions of, you know, really back in the day of being kind of client, that terminal and a, and a, and a mainframe, you know, back in, you know, IBM to that client server environment to now back to essentially we just need very lightweight, dumb terminals or, you know, inexpensive laptops or desktops to connect to the massive processing power. Um, and so we, uh, you know, we established a security division of our company and, um, you know, we're, we're providing essentials to small businesses. Um, and it's, it's, it's very difficult to bring enterprise level tools down to the SMB market um, because it just, these tools weren't developed for that. So you know, a lot of the, the, the fancy, shiny stuff that's out there, you've got to have minimums of 5,000 endpoints before they'll even work for you. So, you know, a lot of my time is spent trying to establish relationships with vendors, which, you know, I know we'll talk about at some point, um, but to, to bring that down to the SMB market that makes it make sense, uh, makes it easily digestible, you know, it's not cost prohibitive. Uh, and so we, we just work with the customer to be their partner. We're, we're not looking for short-term gains. 
We want people that we can be literally long time, you know, lifetime partnerships with to help them grow their business through technology. Yeah, and and you also offer then as a complimentary service. I'm I'm assuming, right? You're you're you offer the virtual CISO then virtual CISO service here. Yeah, so it, we offer virtual CISO to you know we tried to bundle it in, but we found that the smaller smaller businesses don't find value in it, or really not even they don't find value. They don't have enough infrastructure or system or process or even you know a smidgen of governance. We're having a CISO. Really, I became a pain to them, right? Because I'm, I'm pushing on the the sore spot of they know they need to do these things. So we stopped including that in what we were doing by default. So now we offer it to those those organizations who are really looking for having that sort of fractional or virtual uh, CISO, and that that's been very successful. Um, you know, so yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I, I, I do agree with you. I mean, we also offer virtual season services and I, I do agree that you have to have a minimum footprint before it makes sense to hire such a role. For, for the smaller organizations, yeah, it doesn't always make sense unless they have like some sort of a governing, you know, they need to answer security questionnaire, they need to have all kinds of compliance calls with customers and whatnot. So, but otherwise, you know, it's just an expense or not, they don't necessarily see the value in. Um, yeah. Um, so can, can we talk a bit about uh, the common challenges that, uh, that you see your customers are facing with, are faced with? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that ties in perfectly. You know, again, we're in that SMB market, so it's it's different, right? We're not talking about multi-million dollar budgets. We're not talking about you know uh, excessive cash flow that we could just pull from whenever we want for fancy shiny things. So, really, uh, budgeting, right? I mean, I would say the majority of SMB uh, executive leadership that I speak to when I you know I ask, "What is your technology budget?" and I get the same answer: whatever we need to spend money on. You know, we, we basically ad hoc uh, address that. And so there isn't really any, any foresight or planning because, you know, small businesses, it's, you know, there's, there's usually limited cash flow and the money that we do have is going to be spent towards something that is, that is generating revenue and not becoming an expense. Um, so that, that's for sure, probably number one on my list, because uh, that kind of feeds everything else. Um, the other thing is getting them to understand the the direct relationship between their investment that they see as, a, as an expense, but that relationship between that investment and then the ROI, that return on investment they're going to get, you know, and it really is, uh, you know, an educational thing as, as you understand and, and providing VCSO services, there's a lot of, you know, uh, explaining value and, and being able to demonstrate that in simple terms. Uh, and so getting them to see that and how, what the big picture is, is, is definitely a challenge. Uh, some, you know, there's a lot of small business owners who wear a lot of hats um, and they're, they're stretched thin, they're very thin as it is. So getting them to understand the technology or to set aside a few minutes to just understand the core of what's running their business, to understand the systems, the ecosystem, you know, where, you know, potential failures could be or things that could impact their business. They just don't have the time to, you know, to sit and, and understand that or they flat out don't want to. And ultimately that ends up being a problem because 
later on down the line, there's things that they could have been making, you know, decisions they could have been making as a business that could have prevented a lot of things uh, had they understood that infrastructure a little bit better, um, which, you know, like we're talking about here, having some, you know, virtual or fractional CISO or CIO is key in that. Uh, and, and specifically related to security, the same thing, right? Their inherent risk with just, just having a business, being online, having a presence online, providing services, they, their job is just to, to generate revenue, right? Like let's, let's sell, sell, sell more, more, more. Let's grow, grow, grow. Um, but that those security risks, uh, as, as little as they may seem or as, um, uh, unlikely, you know, they, they just don't care and don't, I, I can't even, I, I, I take that back. I'm sure they care, but it's not at the top of their priority list, right? And so that's obviously our job as, as a VC. So is really to kind of recategorize and re restructure their, their priority list on, you know, what starts first and, and, and go down from there. So definitely some of the difficulties that we deal with. Yeah. You know, I, I tend to agree and I, I think it, go, it goes back to the to processes or the lack of uh, of processes, basically. So, you know, and what I found out is when sometimes when, you know, so, some people, some individuals tend to to deal with uh, with crises. And, you know, at some point when they realize that that had they have like a better system in place, basically to to prevent those crises from ever happening, this is when they start uh, they start you know uh, actually putting stuff in place. And security is no difference here, but but as you said, I mean it's definitely out there in terms of like the, the inherent risk and and whatnot. So uh, so yeah, I think I think that's the I agree that that's one of the the major challenges here when, when discussing this with, with, uh, you know, business owners, basically. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, Ben, one of the things that we, I say too often is you've got to get burned to learn. Mm -hmm. And that, it, it, that is the, the theme of what I see day in and day out. It's until they get burned, they don't learn. And, and even then I've, I've had experiences where even getting burned, they still don't learn and it's just not enough. Like they're, they're just willing to take the hit and not, take any proactive steps or remediations it's just let's just pretend that didn't happen and move on business as usual so it's unfortunate but yeah but it happens <laughs> one one business at a time yeah yeah and, and you know i'm gonna ask a couple of questions about vendors right now um and as an external vendor yourself and i know you know you you're being part of the organization as a vendor i'm sure you have to you know work together with other vendors as well do you have any like good advice on how to play well together with other vendors that might even be in some cases like a, a direct or indirect competitor of yours? Yeah, you know, like you said, I wouldn't necessarily classify ourselves as a vendor. You know, being an MSP, MSSP, we're really kind of a broker for vendors, right? I mean, we really are the gateway for you know external solutions to get into that vendor. You know, if if they're being properly managed. Um, but really, you know, and I mean this in the nicest way, and you know, I, I joke with our salespeople all the time, but really it's like, stop being a salesperson, right? Like your quota is showing, <laughs> we feel it, the customer feels it, you know, we all kind of understand what our role is in this engagement, like let's get over that part. Um, it, it's, 
you know, for me, it's about, you know, being an advisor to the customer, you know, even if it means you don't get to sell at that moment, or, or maybe you're not the right solution, just, you know, providing, providing a, a, some sort of, you know, um, oh, sorry, this went blank. So you'll have to edit there. Um, so, so being an advisor to the customer, even if it means you don't get to sell, right? Because building trust goes a long way. And so the customer doesn't really understand to some degree. Uh, and so just stepping down from trying to hit that number or hit that goal or get that sell before the end of the quarter and, and being an advisor to the customer, even if it's not your solution, it just goes so far. Uh, it goes a long way. And it may not be um, you know, an immediate gain, and I get it. I've I, I played in sales a little bit, uh, you know, when your livelihood depends on it, you know, and I, and I see this with even my internal salespeople, the second you add a quota to someone for their livelihood, their psychology, their changes, their, I'd say even their physiology changes in that now they have this thing again, a fear and so their, their brain is more driven on getting that sell with the customer and getting those numbers than actually hearing, uh, and I'm speaking from my own experience, I'm not generalizing, just some of what I hear that, you know, if you could just step down from that a minute and realize that you're talking to someone that this, you know, it's, it's, it's transactional for the salesperson to some degree, right? It's my job is to do this, it's transactional, let's get through this. But for the customer, this may be something that impacts their business positively or negatively for the next three to five years or whatever it is that they've, they've set that time frame up to. So you know, really just be an advisor. Stop, stop being salespeople. We all get it. We know you have a quota and I mean it in the nicest way, but be an advisor to the customer first and it'll go miles and miles. Okay, uh, great. Uh, and what's, what would you say your biggest challenge is when you start to work with a new customer? Uh, trust is number one, mutual trust, right? I mean, that's typically you're, you're coming from a scenario where either you're, you're replacing someone or, you know, that, that hasn't been doing a great job or they already have a bad taste in their mouth. And now you're coming in with all your fancy, shiny things and, you know, trust me, trust me. So that, that challenge up front and, and establishing that we understand, we, we get where they're coming from. We're not just trying to, again, be a salesperson and try to get a deal. I mean, obviously that's our livelihood, but really making sure we hit the marks of what it is they're looking for as a partner and establishing that trust that we're here for the long haul. We're not just trying to make, you know, a quick, quick buck after, off of them. So one, you know, after you get over get over that hurdle, which it, it really isn't getting over a hurdle, it's throughout the longevity of the life cycle of that relationship, you're always, you know, maintaining that level of trust. Um, but really, getting in, getting the opportunity to get in and understand their business and their business process, because typically organizations don't look at you as like, you know, you're you're a seat at the executive table and they are inviting you into their inner workings. You know, you know, you can imagine I come in, they're like, I don't know this guy. He's, you know, this bald tattooed looking guy. I'm not going to let him into my office and start looking at, you know, our forecasting and, you know, our secrets, you know, so that's difficult and that takes time. Um, and so that, you know, we have a 90 day onboarding process in Simpatico for exactly that reason, because it takes 
a while. I mean, obviously we can service the customer pretty instantaneously with tools, um, but to really understand their environment and get a good view to really come in from, you know, bird's eye down to, uh, you know, much closer, uh, that part is key. Um, and with that comes, you know, understanding the health of their system uh, and the risks, again, that inherent risk, because you don't know what you're, you're inheriting, right? You, you come in and they're like, oh yeah, everything's good. And only to find out their servers are, you know, 2008, we've got some 2003 small business servers out there, whatever the case may be, some, you know, XP machines. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, we've had to set some precedents in our agreements with our customers that if they're not under current contract or warranty, et cetera, we, we have to, um, that kind of negates our SLAs, our service level agreements. Uh, what would you say your biggest challenge is when you start to, when you start working with a new vendor? And, and I know you mentioned that you're like sort of a broker for vendors. So I'm, I'm assuming you have like all kinds of processes in place, but if you can share something about your challenges. Well, I think there's a lot of people that can relate and in the role that we're in, time is, is key. I mean, it's huge. You know, that, that is the biggest challenge is, is fitting in. You've got your day-to-day -day stuff. You've got all these things that you've got to do uh, and, and finding a moment to like engage in that, which you already know is going to create some overhead for yourself there's going to be layers of communication that are going to happen. It's just going to be some time that you're going to have to dedicate. I mean, that's, that's number one for me. Um, number two probably is really trying to get them to understand my specific need. Uh, again, like we talked about before, to step out of that salesperson role and be an advisor to really understand and, and, and put in the effort and time to understand our specific need and not just put me in their box that fits their solution. And, and that's what it feels like a lot of the time is, that's great that this is what you need, but here's what it does. And, and, and trying to make it work when maybe it's not all the way. And, and granted, I get it. There, there isn't, there, there aren't, to my knowledge, any off the shelf solutions that just check every single box that you, you need checked. I get that. But really, it's at some point you got to realize: is it is this going to work? Or are we trying to make it work? Uh, so that's that's a difficult piece for me. Um, and then in just the, the the current day and age we live in, to really get a feel for that company's level of security hygiene, right? So you know, depending on what if they're uh, if they're a uh, a startup or if they've been around a little while really to understand what their practices are, what their cyber hygiene is, you know, because essentially every time we, we bring in a vendor, we're introducing new new vectors, new, new areas of risk, new uh, line items of governance that we need to address, uh, supply chain issues. And so really, and I've had some mixed results of that. I've had some customers, some vendors who have really had the forethought and have put together some really good information that helped me uh, with some confidence in that, that scenario. Uh, and then others that just are, you know, very clueless and I get, you know, there's a transition happening and we're, we're very much, you know, changing to a, a new, a new mindset. Uh, but that part's difficult for me because it's, you're really just trusting what they say in a, in a spreadsheet, right? You can ask any number of questions, but you're just, you're trusting uh, an answer in a spreadsheet. So that, that's uh, one of my difficulties as well. Yeah. 
Uh, and you know, I know we've spoken a bit about your role as a, you know, as a virtual CISO and your challenges. Uh, and I, I wanted to touch a bit about the difference as you see it between a full-time CISO and a virtual or a fractional CISO. Um, and I'm assuming, you know, your answer will tie into the previous uh, questions as well. Yeah, uh, good question. And, you know, I, I am, you know, by default, uh, to some degree, I am the CISO for Simpatico Systems. I do fill that role. Uh, you know, I'm and by no means an enterprise level CISO that, that would even try to act like I understand what that role entails. I'm, I'm very immature in my role as a CISO. Um, and working towards that. But from what I understand and, and what I hear in the industry and a lot of other season CISOs speak, uh, you know, there's, there's a difference in, especially what we do from that SMB market, the diversity that we have, you know, typically a CISO is going to be working for a company, an organization, an enterprise, and it's going to be pretty, pretty siloed in their, in their vertical. This is what we do. This is what we offer. This is our stuff. Obviously there's a lot of complexity internally, but the div diversity in the different business models, the different business types, the different verticals uh, is a little bit different in that VCSO role than a CISO role. Um, the scale, obviously, like we just talked about, I mean, you know, from a full-time CISO role, the scale of, of responsibility um, and, and depth of knowledge, uh, which is actually my, my last comment here is uh, the depth of that as well. So scale and depth, you know, there's, there's a lot more going on in the world of a CISO who works at a, you know, let's, let's say, you know, Fortune 500 not business uh, or even a, a large enterprise as opposed to someone who's talking to someone with 25 users. Uh, the scale is, is much larger. There's a, lot of, <laughs> there's a lot more on the plate there. And again, depth, like I said, the depth at which that goes, there's, there's so many pieces and, and the departments and all the different organizational needs and, and departmental needs uh, it's very complex. So diversity, scale, and depth. Yeah. Okay. And if I were to talk with your customers, what what do you think they would say about you? Like, what would they say about the things they, they like the most about working with you and maybe dislike as well? Oh, uh, yeah. Good question. I have to think about myself there for a minute. Um, I, I would say probably first and foremost, they you know, like we just talked about earlier with the salespeople, like be an advisor, be like, I really try to make the people I work with, like feel that I care about them, that I'm trying to connect with them on a human level as a person, that they're not just a customer of mine. They're not just another number. I care about their business and well-being, uh, you know, uh, that I truly care. You know, it's not, it's not just a, you know, a, a tactic to get their business. So I'd probably say that's number one, just the, the, being genuine, uh, it would probably be number one. Um, you know, I, I really take the time with them and to my own detriment a little bit of just really making sure they understand what I'm saying, that they understand what I'm conveying to them. And if I have to give 10 analogies for them to understand, I will, I will go to the nth degree to make sure, because if I leave that situation, that conversation, or that, and they don't understand, I haven't done my job. They, they're going to be left with more questions than answers when I started. So uh, that that's key for me. Um, integrity is key. You know, that's, you know, uh, I mean, not doing the right thing. You know, I, I'm sure you and others listening have had to 
eat a lot, eat some crow or put their foot, take their foot out of their mouth from mistakes they've made and really just own up. And yeah, I did that. That was me. I, that was my, my fault, my responsibility. Uh, so integrity is key for me. Um, and lastly, I do what I say I'm going to do. Like that's, that's a pet peeve of mine. Like if you say you're going to do something for me and that anybody listening <laughs> that wants to work with me, you do what you say you're going to do or I'm out. Like that's, that's huge for me. Like don't make promises, empty, false, you know, false, empty promises, you know, do what you say you're going to do um, so that I can, again, that's about to establishing trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, what would you, like, who would you say is your ideal customer then? Um, ideal customer, uh, you know, myself personally, and, you know, some Attico systems, I'm speaking on their behalf, we're, we're, we are looking for long-term relationships and, and not, we're not just trying to date, right? We're not wanting to, we're not dating our customers. We are looking for that long-term relationship. So we are looking for customers who are, who are dedicated to a partnership and value that as part of their own umbrella, their own infrastructure, their own organization. We're looking for customers who, who understand that value and, and are looking for that as well. Uh, a partner who is that we can, you know, uh, build a partnership with uh, that values our advice, right? About business. So it's not just, Oh, I have these guys that are doing IT or security for me. It's, hey, I was thinking about this thing with business and this, and I was wanting to do that. What, how would that impact me? What do you think about that? What have you seen? Somebody that actually values the, <laughs> the time and effort we've put in, the, the, you know, the number of, uh, uh, of hours of education and CPE credits we, we continually have to get every year to maintain this, this level of knowledge so that we can provide that to them. You know? So that someone that values that, um, uh, you know, and doesn't treat us like a commodity, right? I mean, there's, there's some organizations who just see us as, and no offense to plumbers or electricians, but, you know, mm -hmm. that just sees us as a service company, you know, it's like, oh, the, the air isn't working great. Awesome. Let's call HVAC. Oh, your mouse isn't working yet. Yeah, call, you know, whatever IT company that we're not looking for that kind of a thing. Uh, you know, we're looking for those businesses who understand the value of IT support, security, uh, governance in their business to help them move forward. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I think I know the answer to my next question is, you know, it, it derives from the previous one, like what qualities you don't like about the customer. Uh, I think I can assume, but if you wanted to, to, to give it a go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really you know, the, the antithesis of, of all those, but um Really, yeah. I mean, just it kind of irks me for, with some customers, and this is where I get in trouble of just caring too much. Is they just the customers that just don't care. They don't care to understand. They don't care about you know the giving you the time to understand the issues. There's just like a this level of disrespect of just again just treating you like uh, you, you're this commodity and you're you're not a person. You're just a service. I can't handle that, right? It, like the devaluation of even at a human level, I, I can't handle that. You know, it's, 
you know, I don't care, you know, if someone's sweeping the floors or doing whatever they, you know, they're still a person, give them that level of respect, you know, give them the respect of the effort they put in for what they do. We, we give that to them, you know, for what they've done, whether they're a doctor, lawyer, CPA, whatever it is that they're doing, or, you know, they may be, a, um, you know, metal fabricator. I'm not a metal fabricator. I, I'm going to give them a respect that, uh, and of what they do that I don't do, um, but I'm not going to treat them in, in any lesser manner. Yeah, and, and you know, I think I think for me, from what I'm experiencing, I think it it all comes back to uh, the need to keep everything very streamlined, so people, especially customers, they, as you said, they're after sale after sale after sale. They don't really want to stop they don't want to understand and you know what they might not need to but i do agree with you that you know what i like about your answer is that i do agree with you that um you know you do need to have some kind of a good personal relationship to make this work because otherwise if you just treat it as a service that you consume i mean people even if i mean even though we we do provide services we're not like a SaaS solution. You can't, you know, unplug us or unplug people. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, I like that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can't unplug people like in the Matrix. Yep. Uh, okay. <laughs> so if any of our listeners or, you know, potential partners, they want to connect with you online, what's the best way to do it? Uh, I'm pretty... Uh... Uh, anti-social when it comes to my <laughs> online presence, as you may have found in doing any any uh, research on me. Uh, I'm, I'm anti all of that stuff, but I am on LinkedIn. I'm just, you know, Jeremiah Cohen, you know, J-E-R-A-M-I-A-C-O-H-E-N. Just look me up on LinkedIn or Simpatico Systems. That's probably the only, only place you're going to find me. Okay. Uh, interesting. So I get that uh, you don't have any Facebook. I have to say I didn't do the research on Facebook or any one of those, but uh, I usually don't. But uh, I guess you don't have any Facebook or any one of the newer social media platforms that are out there right now. No, I, I don't subscribe to any of that. I very much enjoy my privacy. Yeah. Or, or the, the, the perception of my privacy. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's the the better description. Uh, a couple of fun questions to wrap this up with. Uh, if you had unlimited funds, or you know, let's just re let's just uh, say, if if money was never an issue, what would you do with with your life? Oh, that's a good question, um, and, and I think that goes back to kind of yeah. one of my successes in life. I I very much at this point value living simply you know uh for me living simply off grid near some water you know the ocean preferably i definitely love the ocean uh being from being from california uh, natively um spending time with my family uh, just just the the basic essentials of life I, I really have found so much value in that through my experiences uh, that's key for me. It wouldn't matter the amount of money. It would just give me the flexibility and the ability to just, just connect with people, just be free. Like I said, it changes your, it changes your physiology when you're, when you're trying to attain something as opposed to you have, and you could just give, um, and, and, and not to be, uh, 
you know, a follower of all of the, the space travel that's going on with these wealthy people. But I, I really do have a fascination with space. I'm very much a Star Wars geek. Uh, my birthday actually is on May the 4th. Uh, May the so, 4th be with you. So, you know, I, I live that up. But space travel for me, just, just to, to, for perspective, to see our planet uh, from outside of what I've seen it normally would be on my list for sure. So Star Wars versus Star Trek, right? You're a, you're a Star Wars fan. Star Wars all the way. Although I did watch Star Trek. Star Trek, but I am 100% Star Wars geek. Okay. Well, you know, I watched both, and I've been watching all nine. I mean, we, we just finished watching all, all nine movies with, with my kids. I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old daughter, um, and we just finished watching all nine. And, you know, it's it's great. Um, and, and I've watched the, the Mandalorian, obviously. So I'm, I'm pretty up up to speed. But I still prefer Star Trek, like all the, you know, oh, yeah. all, the, all the all the TV shows, all the series, like Discovery uh, was amazing. Picard was amazing, you know, and even even before that, going going back to the TNG, Deep Space Nine, all, all the geeky stuff. I watched it all, even the lower decks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, not to, uh, not to uh, uh, brag a little bit, but at one per point, uh, William Shatner was a, a customer, a client of mine. Oh, yeah, In interesting. Story for another webinar. Yeah, that's 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 <laughs> a, a different story. Another that yeah. might be a more interesting story, even. But uh, okay. Um, and just before we we end this session, because I know we're almost out of time, do you have any specific like something that you've read or listened to recently that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, yeah, actually, I, um, I just started a new book. I was at a conference here in, in Dallas uh, for cybersecurity, and there was a gentleman there named Christian Espinoza. Um, he's CEO of an organization called Alpine Security, um, and he's, he's about 30-year veteran, but he's kind of stepping back a little bit in this book he writes um, to look at kind of, I think, what a lot of us are asking. It's, you know, why do we still have these issues why are we still tackling the same problems uh, and we're just getting new, newer, shinier, fancier tools? Um, and so he really dives into kind of the, the, uh, the ego of some of the people within this ecosystem. Um, you know, and there's, there's a couple quotes within that, that that I noted here. You know, one of the things he said is, it's the people and their ego that, that's at the nexus of the industry failing, um, which, which is, you know, a pretty powerful statement um and you know he says your people and their poor communication still skills are the reason your data was stolen not your lack of cutting edge technology and so he really looks at how some of these inflated egos within these organizations prevent communication within that organization and you know how we're communicating how we're spending our time that we could negate some of this stuff and so it really makes you evaluate what your role is, how you behave, some of the psychology behind it, uh, and so it's really it's really interesting me and seeing you know how to how am I contributing to that or what we're seeing because clearly we have an issue uh, that, that is that is not being resolved and it doesn't matter how many tools we come out with you know there's there's still going to be these issues until we can communicate like we've talked about a number of times through here properly with each other as humans at a human level as opposed to my rank or my position. And my ego, uh, we're, we're just not going to get anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I would go even a step further and, you know, 
basically blame mankind in that but uh, because you know it all goes back like the the weakest link is always the the human uh and and communicate poor communication is definitely out there and you know inflated egos is definitely you know i've, I've seen that a lot as well so yeah. i also tend to agree on that uh but anyway i see that we're out of time i just wanted to take this opportunity and thank you for joining me on this podcast it seems that we actually have a lot in common if you could uh, you know stick around for for a couple of minutes uh we can discuss something briefly but uh yeah so just again thank you so much for taking the time to join me on this podcast I really enjoyed our talk and I am sure, you know, some of the tips that you provided here would resonate with some of our listeners. And yeah, I just, I can wish you all the best. Great, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the platform. I, I enjoy talking about this stuff and give it back as much as possible. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.